Uh, we're in week three of our series called Planted, and we're uh, talking through uh, this verse in the Old Testament. It's uh, Psalm chapter 92, verse number 13, uh, that simply says, Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Speaking of the righteous, speaking of those who love God, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the importance of being planted, uh, that just following Christ by yourself uh, isn't enough for God's ultimate purposes of your life to be fulfilled, but he's designed our walk with him that we might be planted in fellowship, in friendship with other believers in a local church, and that strengthens us and ushers in his blessings on us. And so in week one, I shared my story of getting planted in a local church and the impact that it's had on my life. Last week, we talked about uh, a more practical aspect of being planted, that the truth is that all of us are fairly insignificant on our own right. I mean, you might feel talented, you might feel smart or whatever, but at the end of the day, uh, we're like a little seed that by itself doesn't offer much to anyone. But when it's planted, it becomes something much bigger than itself. And when we're planted in the house of the Lord, our impact is uh, proportionally greater than we would have by ourselves. And so we've been talking about the importance of that. And today I want to kind of uh, build upon that a little more. And I want to talk to us about a position that we find ourselves in, honestly, for much, much of our life, if not most of our life. And it's the position that we're in between being planted and, and becoming what God wants us to be. That in-between, that, that process, that, that growing and transformation, uh, the becoming what God wants us to be starts with being planted. But, but what do you do in the meantime, in the space between the fulfillment of God's promises for your life and the beginning of God's promises for your life? It's a difficult season for a lot of people. And honestly, we find ourselves in that season a lot. And so today, I want to give you just one, one thought, one thought that you can take away that will encourage you that while you're in that season of becoming, while you're in the meantime, while you're in the transition to being what God wants you to be or flourishing uh, from being planted, what do you do and what's that look like? And I want us to look at a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter number 6, starting in verse number 45. Here's what uh, Mark says in this gospel writing. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now, context here, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread and two small fish. He's just performed a massive miracle. In fact, before that miracle, the Bible tells us earlier in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus had gotten his disciples and they got in a boat because they wanted to get away from the crowds because they needed some alone time because they were tired and they were drained. And, and people saw them in the boat and followed them on land and chased them to where they were going. And Jesus had compassion on these people. And instead of saying like, hey, no, 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 we don't have time for you right now. We're trying to have some time for ourselves. We're tired. We're busy. He has compassion on them. He has them sit down. A scripture said that the, the, the hillside, the mountainside was green. It was, a, it was a beautiful, lush place where the disciples had just been. And they just saw Jesus feed a multitude of people. 
with five loaves of bread and two small fish. I mean, come on. When you see Jesus do something like that, like it becomes real. We're following a legend here. Like this man has got his act together and he knows what's going on. Uh, Jesus finishes that miracle and it says immediately he made his disciples get in a boat. He sent them to Bethsaida. He says, you're going to the other side. But listen to what happens. After leaving them, he went on a mountainside, up on the mountainside to pray. So he says, I'm sending you guys on to the other side, but I'm going to stay back and pray. Okay? So with Jesus, they just saw him accomplish an incredible miracle. Now they're putting, he's put them in a boat. They're going to a new destination, a new place. They're leaving where they have just been, where they've just seen Jesus do something incredible. And they're going to somewhere they haven't been yet. And Jesus isn't with them. Verse number 47, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land, Jesus. Verse 48, and when the disciples, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, just before dusk, he went out to them walking on the lake, and he was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. This is one of the most like uh, profound statements he could have made at the time. But when we read it, we think that it's kind of silly. Like Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples think that he's a ghost. And he's like, No, take courage, it is I. It's Jesus. It's like, it's like this is written in a book. But this really happened. Verse 51. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They found themselves in a storm. Jesus had sent them to a destination. They found themselves in the middle of a storm. It was chaotic. They were working as hard as they could to get across the lake, but Jesus noticed that they couldn't make it on their own. So he walks out to them on the lake as only Jesus could. And when he gets in the boat, the winds die down. Isn't it amazing that with Jesus in our boat... The storms in our life seem to just disappear. But when we're not focused on Christ, the storms in our life, they capture our attention, they capture our hearts, and they dictate a lot of our reactions. And I don't know about you, but I know I find myself in some storms from time to time. And I find myself searching for answers. I find myself discouraged. I find myself sometimes afraid and wondering what outcomes of situations and circumstances will be. The great news is that Jesus always comes to us in the midst of our storms, and if we allow him into the boat, then the storms will die down. His disciples, they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is important. You would think that after seeing this incredible miracle, the disciples would just, their faith would be so strong. They would believe Jesus for anything, but they kind of missed the picture. And they still had hard hearts in regards to what Jesus wanted to do in them and through them. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. I'll just say G-Town because I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Key word for you. If you've got a Bible, I want you to circle it. Beginning of verse 53, when. When. Extremely important word. Let me pray for us and then I want to share a few thoughts. Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for your word that's living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces to the deepest places of our very being and can be exactly what we need in any given situation. And I pray right now that you would speak directly to our hearts. Give us ears to hear 
and speak through me in Christ's name. Amen. If you're a parent, likely, if you found yourself in situations that I've found myself in, your perspective on things changes a lot from when you were a kid. And I have found recently that a lot of the things that I thought about my parents that were maybe annoying or I didn't quite understand, now that I'm on this side of things, are things that about my kids are annoying and I don't understand. And I now have a newfound respect for some things that I put my parents through when I was a little kid. If you've ever been on a road trip, if you've ever traveled a long distance in a vehicle, you know the difficulty of having little kids with you on those journeys. I've got family that lives up near Indianapolis, Indiana, a 10-hour-plus drive, and my parents would take my brother and I, and we would set out on this adventure. My dad was smart enough a lot of times to drive through the night so that we would actually sleep instead of fight, and I learned that lesson uh, as soon as I became a parent and started taking road trips with my young kids. But from time to time, we would, because of schedules, have to go, and during the daytime, and and we would take games with us, and we would uh, take anything that we could to occupy our time on these road trips. But there's always an inevitable question that you've heard if you're a parent or that you've made this statement if you were a kid while you're on a road trip. And it's, are we there yet? Right? Are we there yet? What, like, truthfully, it doesn't make a lot of sense to ask that question because think about it when you're a kid and you're asking, are we there yet? You can look out the windows and see that you're still driving, right? Like you know that you're not there yet, but it's almost like you want your dad, your mom, whoever's driving like, hurry up, please get there sooner. And so I would say, hey, dad, are we there yet? And he would start off with a kind of voice, no, not there yet, son. But by like hour six, he would say, if you ask me that one more time, I'm going to pull this car over and you're never going to ask it again, I promise you. And he would like try to scare me from asking that because it would just annoy him. It would just get to the point where he's like, why are you asking that? And I've thought about why I asked that question and, and I think that now that I'm older, I have a little wisdom to understand why I asked that question. I think what I was saying when I was saying, are we there yet, isn't like, have we arrived at our destination? But I think what I was really saying is, hey, Dad... I've done everything I can do back here. I've played my game. I've listened to my little disc man. <laughs> Y'all remember disc man? I had a little disc man. I've listened to the, the CDs that I've had. I've done everything I can. Brian's getting on my nerve, my brother. Uh, we've counted cars. We've played the game where you look for different letters on the billboards. We've done everything we can, and I'm out of options. I'm bored. I don't enjoy this road trip. I'm tired of sitting back here. Are we there yet? Help, please, give me something to occupy my time. And I try to teach my kids now, if you'll just go to sleep when you wake up, we'll be there, and I won't have to be frustrated by you asking these silly questions, but they don't always take my advice. And the road trip, the journey to getting to our destination is frustrating. It's like you're cooped up in a process to getting somewhere that's not life-giving. Nothing good comes of it. And at some point in the destination, you just, you hit the wall and you're like, I'm tired of being in the car. Let me out of the car. Let me out of the car. And so I'll say to my son now on an hour drive to see uh, my grandparents, Dad, I don't want to be in the car anymore. And I'll say, well, 
We've been driving for 30 minutes. If you want me to turn around and go home, I will. But just so you know, it's the exact same amount of time to get home as it is to get to Pawpaw's house. And he's got the tractors and the lawnmowers and the garden and the land. Where do you want to go? And he'll say, oh, stay in the car. Let's keep going. Do you ever feel like that in life? Like, I'm not where I used to be, and we're grateful for that, right? I'm not, I don't think like I used to think. I don't speak like I used to speak. I don't go places I used to go. I'm not who I used to be. I'm on a journey to becoming what God wants me to become. I'm not who I used to be. I'm thankful for that, but I'm getting kind of tired of going, and I'm ready to arrive. Right? Are we there yet? Or another way is, when are we going to be there? Like, please, just give me some insight into how long I have to endure this process because it's getting on my nerves and I just got to cope with it somehow. And oftentimes we get frustrated. We get to the point where our journey can sometimes feel like a storm. There can be some uncertainties, some frustrations, some dangers along the way, some, some loneliness, some discouragement some lack of control, where we feel like, I feel like I'm headed to where I'm supposed to be, and I'm not where I once was, but this journey is is just getting the best of me. It's just getting the best of me. Here's the thing about the disciples. Jesus put them in a boat, and he sent them across the lake to a destination. Now, he's Jesus, right? He knew there would be a storm. They have just left a beautiful countryside, They have just left the security of land. They've just left the lush, green fields full of people seeing Jesus do miraculous things. And Jesus immediately puts them in a boat and says, now you got a storm to go sail through. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would Jesus take people from a comfortable place and send them into some uncertain waters, knowing that they're going to face some adversity, knowing that they're going to feel like they're rowing against the waves, rowing against the wind, trying their best to get where they feel God's told them to go, but they're not making progress. They're just pushing up against the storm. And Jesus is up on a mountainside praying, and he looks out, and he says, yep, they're in the storm. Now they're struggling. Now they're at a place where they understand that they actually need me. And so now I'll go out to them on the water. And he gets into the boat, and the storm ceases. The seas grow calm. The lake becomes still. I imagine it just being like glass. And the disciples were amazed because they still didn't understand that where they were isn't where God wanted them to be. It wasn't their final destination, that he still had places for them to go, but they had to learn some things along the way. There was a process by which they had to become who he wanted them to become in order to get to where he wanted them to get. You've had experiences, I'm sure, like me, where you felt God was leading you to do something, and when you committed to do it, you were faced with some adversity. You're like, God, I felt like I was doing this for you, and now it's becoming hard. It's becoming difficult. It's not enjoyable like it was when I was in the security of the land in the lush countryside around all the people. Now I'm out here all by myself in this storm. Well, I just don't get it. Are we there yet? Like, why are we, what are we even doing? 
What are we even doing? It's so frustrating. And I've found that anytime God calls me to go somewhere, God calls me to do something, there's always a process by which He wants to do something in me before He does something through me. Like He, he doesn't look at me and say, oh, Bronson is exactly who I need him to be now, so I can use him to do something that someone else isn't qualified to do. He doesn't do that. He says, I've got something for Bronson to do, and <laughs> he's not qualified for that. So I've got to help him get to where he needs to be so that he can accomplish what I need him to accomplish. And it's the same for your life. God's got a purpose for you. I believe that every individual, God has a specific purpose. He has a specific cause for which you exist and offer hope to this world. And he wants to use you to accomplish those things, but... He's got to help you grow into who he wants you to be before you can accomplish those things. So we can always look back and we can see, I'm not where I once was, and I'm grateful for that. The hard part is when we say, but I'm tired of traveling. Like, am I ever going to get there? I'm confident that you told me to go to G-Town, but the storm is about to kill me, and I'm tired. So what do you do? Like, how do you react? How do you respond? What, what happens in the meantime between uh, being planted and flourishing, but between where you once were and where God wants you to be? What do you do in the meantime? It's difficult, right? And like the disciples, most of us have this mentality, guys, we got to row harder. We've got to work harder. The storm is against us, and we've got to fight the storm, and we've got to get through the storm to where Jesus wants us to be. And it's like we're, come on, guys, we're not rowing together. Let's get our act together. We've got to get through this. These winds are pushing. We've got to get through this. Let's work harder. And we start like trying to think, like, we've got to do more. We've got to work harder, be more disciplined. And we think that we've got to be more spiritual, that we have to, uh, make ourselves do things that don't come easy for us so that we can get through the storms of life. Because don't we often see a storm as a result of our process or our failure? I'm in this storm because it's my fault, right? I must be doing something wrong. That's why I'm in this storm. If I were doing everything I were supposed to do, everything would be smooth, right? That's what we think. But the truth is, is Jesus took his closest followers, and he sent them straight into a storm. There wasn't anything that they did that caused the storm. Jesus knew the storm was going to be there, and he sent them into the storm. Why would Jesus send people into the storm? And we find that these disciples were still hard-hearted. They still hadn't become everything that God wanted them to become. And so you would imagine Jesus walks out to them on the lake, and he's like, Where's the faith, guys? Like, you can't even get across the lake. I mean, didn't you just see what just happened? Like, I just took 5,000 men plus their women plus their children. I fed them all with five loaves of bread and two fish. You saw that, right? And you can't even get through the storm? Like, what's your problem? Go back, right? Go back. I'm going to find some people who have soft hearts. I'm going to find some people who actually have some faith who can get through a storm. I'm going to find some people that can do the job. Does he do that? He doesn't do that. I, would, I think I would do that. I think I would be like, I thought I could trust in you. I thought, I thought that you would get the job done. You guys, you guys, come on, let's go back. I'm going to find somebody. Isn't that our reaction? I'll find somebody that will get the job done. 
He doesn't do it. He sent people who he knew weren't ready for the other side. He sent them to the other side. Because he knew that there was a storm that he could meet them in to help them become who he needed them to become. And sometimes you need storms in your life. To learn to depend on Jesus Christ. To learn to trust him when you're unable to get to where you need to go in your own strength, on your own talents, by your own merit. Sometimes you just need a wake-up call to realize, hey, I can't get the job done by myself. I am not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I am not who I need to be. And rather than just saying, you know, like, Jesus, you should just find someone else to do this. I'm going to go back to the hills. I can, I can see Peter doing that, right? Right? Guys, this is stupid. We've been doing this for 30 minutes. We've been doing this all night. We're not getting anywhere. Let's just turn around and go back. Right? Doubting Thomas. Yeah, surely he didn't mean to go over there in the storm. Come on, let's go back, guys. Let's go back. We'll come when the seas are calm. This is dumb. We're not getting anywhere. We're fighting against ourselves. Let's go back. I can see some disciples like, this just isn't worth it. But then you got like John. He's like, come on, guys. Jesus, trust us. We can do this. Let's keep going. And Jesus meets them there. These, these hard-hearted men who weren't who he wanted them to be, going to a place that they couldn't get on their own. He meets them there and gets in the boat and he calms the storm. What do you do in the meantime? What do you do in the middle of the process? What do you do when you've left where you once were but you haven't arrived where you're going and you're faced with adversity? This is profound. It'll change your life. You ready? Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. That's deep, right? You were wanting something much more helpful. But if you'll stay in the boat that Jesus put you in when he sent you somewhere, even when it gets hard and difficult, he's always going to come meet you in that boat. There's come a time where he's going to calm the seas You've got better chances to get where he's called you to go if you stay in the boat. Even when you feel like you can't accomplish anything on your own or you're fighting against the storms of life or you're getting nowhere, you're not making progress. When Jesus gets in the boat, I promise you, you want to be in that boat. Don't get out of the boat. Don't abandon ship. Don't look ahead and say, guys, I'm seeing a lot of clouds out there. Um, I think I'm going to wait back and I'm going to catch the next ride over. Because if you had done that and stayed back at the beautiful green countryside and you'd allowed everybody else to stay in the boat, you'd have missed one of the most incredible, miraculous feats that these 12 men would have ever experienced in their entire lifetime. In fact, in fact the crazy thing is when they were in the boat a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus was on the boat and there was a storm and they freaked out again. They went and got Jesus, and he came out, and he calmed the waves. Maybe that's why Jesus said they were hard-hearted. He had already done this once, but now that Jesus wasn't with them, they're freaking out again. They don't believe that he can do it because he's not with them. So he comes out to them on the lake, and he calms the storm again. Stay in the boat. Stay planted. Think about 
your garden. You had a garden, you got flowers, you got trees that you planted at your yard, whatever you've ever planted. Hopefully you've planted something in your lifetime. If not, go plant something so that you can experience this. If you plant something and it starts to sprout, it begins to grow, and you're like, oh, it's not growing quick enough. I'm going to take it out of the ground. It will never become what it's going to be. The only way something grows is if it stays planted, right? That's simple. That's easy. But being planted isn't always fun. The journey and the process of growing and becoming what God wants you to be is sometimes dark, sometimes dirty, sometimes lonely, sometimes uncomfortable. But if you'll stay planted, if you'll stay in the boat, that that's where Jesus works. That's where he does his work. And no matter what's going on around you, you can always trust that he's going to help you get through those situations. The beautiful thing about this story is that they got across to the other side because Jesus got in the boat. Not because they learned to row and sink. Not because they learned to work harder. But simply because Jesus got in the boat. It was a boat that Jesus came out and got in. The waves died and they continued. Stay in the boat. What's that look like? I love John chapter 15 verses 4 and 5. This is what John, one of the disciples, wrote. Remain in me and I will remain in you. This is Jesus speaking. Remain in me. Stay planted. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit. Neither can you bear fruit. You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Right? Jesus isn't saying, bear fruit, people. Come on. Be more fruitful. Pick up your game. Come on. Work harder. I need more fruit. More fruit. He doesn't say that. He says, remain in me. Stay planted. I'm going to do the work. Just stay in me. Just remain in me. And I'll remain in you. I am the vine. You are the branches. Don't we get that backwards sometimes? Like we tend to think that, that we're the vine. And sometimes we think like Jesus is the branch on our vine. And, and he helps make us what we want to be in life. We get that backwards. Jesus is the vine. We're just a branch. And outside of Jesus, we cannot exist. We cannot bear fruit. We are useless. Apart from him, we don't do anything. But if we stay connected to the vine, then we produce fruit. It's not about producing fruit. It's about remaining in the vine. If a, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do nothing. You know your job in life? Your biggest encouragement from this story in Scripture, the thing that you have to focus your energy and your attention on in life, is just staying in the boat. Just remain in the vine. Just stay planted. No matter what's going on around you, stay focused on, Jesus, I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to be exactly where you want me to be. I'm going to stay rooted and grounded and planted in the house of the Lord. And when life gets difficult and chaotic, I will trust that if I will just stay planted, then Jesus will meet me in the midst of my storms. And he'll take care of the outside. He'll take care of the exterior. He'll take care of the frustrations. And he'll allow me to become who I need to be 
so that I can go where he wants me to go. He hasn't called you to bear more fruit. He hasn't called you to work harder and produce something greater. He's called you to trust him, to allow him to do through you what he wants to do through you. It's not a call to work harder and to be something that you're not now. It's a call just to remain in Christ, to stay in the boat, to trust that if you're grounded and rooted where he wants you to, then you will flourish. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. And I think about our church, small church, huge dreams. I get frustrated. I know that I probably think about church way too much. But it's kind of a curse of my calling. I think about church way too much. And I say, we have such huge dreams. We feel like, God, you're leading us there. (laughs) But I feel like we're just in a boat rowing against the wind. The waves are crashing all around us, and we're not getting anywhere. Huge dreams. I'm ready for the church to be huge, right? I'm ready for us to be there. When are we going to get there? Are we there yet, God? I'm tired of the journey. I'm tired of the process. I'm tired of traveling. Get me out of this car. Let me stretch my legs and enjoy G-Town, right? That's where I want to be. Well, if we want to get there, what do we got to do? Stay in the boat. If a group of people will just stay in the boat and allow Jesus to take us where he wants us to be, then we'll be exactly where we need to be. And so like I have challenged us throughout this series, if you don't feel as if you're planted in a house of the Lord, if you don't feel like you have a church that you can call home, if you're here this morning and you, you can't say like, that's my church family, as opposed to those are the people I go to church with, then I want to challenge you. Stay planted. Get planted. Allow your roots to dig down deep. Allow yourself to get established in the house of the Lord. And then stay committed, stay firm, stay, stay fixed on remaining in the boat. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that Jesus is going to take us somewhere. If you're like me, You look at everything around you and you say, well, we've got to change what's around us so that we can get where we want to be. Right? What's wrong? Why aren't we where we want to be? We've got to fix this. We've got to tweak that. We've got to change this. New strategy here. New policy here. We've got to come up with a a new set of this and that. We've got to change some things to get where we want to go. And sometimes Jesus just wants us to stop for a moment and just realize You can work as hard as you want. But until you realize how much you really need me, you aren't going to be the person that you need to be to get where I'm taking you. Just stay in the boat. It's just waves. It's just wind. There's nothing to be afraid of. Watch this. Stay in the boat. Just stay in the boat. Just remain in the vine. 
And I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what situations you're facing. I don't know what financial winds you're pushing up against. I don't know what relationship waves are crashing around your boat. I don't know what health problems are, are keeping you from getting where you want to be. I don't know what storms you're facing in life. But I want to just give you hope and a promise that if you'll stay in the boat, that's where Jesus does the greatest work in your life. Now you can think that you're a great swimmer and you can get out and try to swim through the waves if you want to. But when Jesus gets in that boat, I promise you want to be in there. Stay faithful. Stay fixed. And allow Jesus to take you where he wants you to be. In the meantime, in the process, in the journey, on the traveling towards the destination. Don't get so bored, don't get so irritated with the process that you give up on it and you abandon ship and say, I just want to go back. Just stay in the boat and Jesus Christ will help you become who he wants you to become. You'll grow through the process your faith will grow deeper. Your friendships and relationships will grow deeper. And you're going to find yourself on the other side of that sea, looking back at a storm that Jesus brought you through, having become a better person for it. Let me pray for us. Father, it's hard for me to even pray this, but I want to say thank you for the storms that you send us into in this life. I know we don't want to go through storms. I know that we don't want to find ourselves in the midst of difficult situations. But Father, I just believe that sometimes you send us into difficult seasons because you want to do something in us that will allow us to accomplish what you've called us to accomplish or arrive where you want us to arrive. And for everyone in this room, everyone who's hearing my voice right now, who may be in the midst of a storm, who may be facing a difficult situation, I pray, Lord, that you would go and meet them right where they are and allow them to understand that you can do in them and through them something that they can't do on their own. It's not about fighting the winds. It's not about rowing harder. It's not about working more diligently. It's not about focusing and being more disciplined. It's about allowing you to do in us what only you can do in us. And I pray that we would be a church full of people who are committed to trusting you that no matter what goes on around us, that you're taking us exactly where you want us to go. I pray that we wouldn't look back at places of comfort that we've come from, that we won't get so discouraged with the process of getting to our destination that we give up on it, but that we would invite you into our boat, that we would invite you into the difficult places of our lives and simply trust you to do what only you can do. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to not grow weary in doing good. That we won't get so discouraged with the process that we give up on the journey altogether. But if we stay focused and don't give up at the proper time, at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest. We'll see the results that we've been hoping for. We'll arrive at the destination that may have seemed like it took forever to get to. But Lord, there's something about ending a journey that brings such fulfillment into our lives. And when we arrive at our journey, I pray that you would receive all the glory in our lives and accomplish your will in the earth through us because of your goodness to us. Thank you for the journey. Thank you for the call to go. Thank you for the storms. Thank you for coming out into the storm to change our world. We give you thanks for that. In Christ's name. I wonder this morning if there are some of you here that would just say, Bronson, would you just, would you just say a quick prayer for me? You don't have to share details of your storm or your journey or the difficult place that you're in life. But I just wonder, is there anyone here this morning that would just say, I'm just, I feel like I'm not getting to where I need to be. And sometimes, honestly, I feel like getting out of the boat and heading back to where I once was. Would you just Would you just pray for me, Bronson, that I'll just stay in the boat and trust that Jesus is going to meet me when I need him the most? Is there anybody this morning that I could just pray for you? Awesome. Anybody else? Let's do this. Lord, you see these hands. You see the difficult situations and circumstances. You see the storms that we're facing in life. And we just invite you into our boat, Father. We just ask you to come out into the midst of our storms and do for us what we can never do for ourselves. You have the power, Lord, to produce fruit through us if we'll stay connected to the vine. Give us, Lord, give us a heart that remains planted in you. Give us a steadfast, faithful approach to following you that just says, I'm never getting out of the boat because where I once was is as comforting as I feel it may be to go back there, pales in comparison to where you've called me to go. Help us to become who you want us to be, Lord. Make us into who you want us to be. Take our hard hearts, Lord, and strip them away that we might be who you want us to be so that when we get to where you've called us to go, we'll be able to accomplish what you've called us to do. 
for every difficult situation represented and every storm that's being faced right now. Father, I just pray that you would meet us in those difficult areas and do what only you can do. I pray for peace. I pray for a calmness. I pray for healing. I pray for encouragement. I pray that you would lift our heads and help us to stay focused on you. And as we do that, I trust, Lord, that you're going to accomplish great things through us. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, I pray. And we all said, amen.